Welcome to Sports, Clicks, and Politics with your hosts, Ben Husson and me, Sean Hannon. Welcome to episode 66 of Sports, Clicks, and Politics. I don't know if anybody can hear us, so hopefully somebody can tell us if they can hear us. That'd be helpful. Uh, the uh, intro I could not hear. It looked like it played, but uh, maybe I'll wait for somebody in chat to tell me that they can hear us or not hear us. Would you Looks put like it you... together? No. I'm, uh, what are you I'm doing a mess. over here? I had a lot going on. I don't want to hear it. I'm Do producing the show, Mr. Hughesong. I mean, well, well, listen, well, I think everybody's here. So let's just go with the show here and welcome to episode 66 of Sports Clicks and Politics. We have a very special episode here today. Um, Mr. Hughesong, thank you for joining us for this special episode. Always. I hear that people can hear us, so well, I guess good. we are good to go. All thank right. you, Mr. Owens. Um, we have a great show today. So we have coming up here, the uh, special part is going to be a live interview with Kevin McKernan. Uh, he has been on the show previous. He's an excellent interview then. He is the chief science officer of uh, medicine, uh, Medicinal Genomics, which is the company basically doing the genome for the cannabis. So he's a scientist. He's a scientist, a real-life right. scientist. He also used to work for the Human Genome Project. He was, I heard uh, that that's kind of a big deal. Yeah. He worked in the MIT lab there. He's uh, lead, lead a, leading one of those labs there. So, uh, and I've heard MIT is not exactly o- A kind of a good weekend, not a great weekend for you, or a better weekend for me? I mean, I had a great weekend, except for Sunday. The herbal towel. <laughs> Can I use your bathroom real quick? So I don't really follow football anymore, but I like to brag where I can. I hate I, you. <laughs> you actually had that put off to the side. You're the worst. So the Steelers uh, went into Buffalo. They're they home away from home and uh, pulled out a. Uh, it was a. It was a good game actually. I actually watched the game at work, so it was a good defensive battle. Very low scoring, uh, blocked punt. Kind of was the deciding uh, yeah. uh, factor in the game. So, zero and one Buffalo Bills, one and zero Pittsburgh Steelers. I guess that means the Bills were becoming to Pittsburgh for the AFC Championship game. It's possible. It's. I mean, I, the Chiefs might want to have a word with you about that. But well, one of us will beat them on the way in. So. All right, I like it. That's the plan. Yeah, tough day for the Bills. Um, Josh Allen reverted to hey, everything needs to be a home run, and I don't need to throw a ball under twenty five yard form, which was a, a little disappointing. Brian Dabble. Um, rescinded or reverted back to the what is a run that doesn't involve the quarterback I've never heard of such a thing um and I, the defense really didn't play bad defense played very well they uh they gave up the the blocked punt was one and then the other one was after a uh, a pass interference call which they happened and the, and then the touchdown pass was just an amazing catch and throw yeah. like it was it was played well it was defended well it was unbelievable the guy, nah, I don't remember who it was that caught it but they made a great catch yeah uh, I'm not overly worried about it. I guess the Bills are not going to go 17-0 and this year. Uh, the, the Steelers played very well. The troubling signs are the Bills' offensive line looks a little suspect. I was not anticipating that. Well, the Steelers have one of the best defenses Correct. in the league. So, I mean, it's hard to, and you, you know, make an assessment on week one, too. I mean, that, if there's ever going to be a knock-the-rust-off week, it's week one, right? So, I mean, everybody's, yeah. I mean, you're you're, you're not up to speed. You're, you're, you are, you know, you're. You're not. You're a shell of your future self, I guess. So right, and it is what it is. And God love them. They're two very good football teams. And now uh, the Bills are on to Miami. I don't know where the Steelers are going next. Yeah. Uh, do you have any other hot week uh, one takes? Uh, see the Chiefs won. They beat the Browns. Um, yeah. Trying to think of anybody. The, the Bengals surprised the Vikings. Yeah. 
the Jets are who we thought they were. Yeah. I mean, that was a good game, too. I mean, low yeah. scoring, whatever. Sam Darnold Bowl. Sam Darnold Bowl. I, I still think Sam Darnold is going to do legitimately well in Carolina. I was hoping that the Steelers were going to kind of go after him as kind of like Big Ben's replacement, yep. but they went after Dwayne Haskins. So. Uh, who could blame him? I'm sure it was <laughs> neck and neck. Um, no, nah, listen, Sam Darnold's a legitimately good quarterback. Yeah. The, uh, I mean, Adam we... Gase was terrible, right? So we everybody oh. had basically, he was ruining that team for years. So that guy's basically, he's the, who's David Carr's brother? Oh, is he? No, who was, that came up Derek with Derek Carr. Yeah. Oh, David Carr is the brother. He yes. was the guy who got beat up in Texans. Yeah, right. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So listen, Adam Gase, this is my favorite thing of like, all right, Adam Gase got a Super Bowl ring as an offensive coordinator, worked that into a head coaching job in Miami and a head coaching job for the New York Jets, right? What nobody cares to point out is like Adam Gase won the Super Bowl as an offensive coordinator with Peyton Manning as his quarterback. Now, I could win a Super Bowl as the offensive coordinator for a Peyton Manning-led team because basically the entire game plan is going to be, hey, guys, shut up and do what Peyton says. What am I going to do? Like over, like it's watching Byron Leftwich be the OC for Tom Brady. Now, I don't mean any disrespect to Mister Leftwich. He might turn out to be a wonderful and an excellent offensive coordinator, but it's kind of like playing uh, Madden football on an easy setting and then like acting like you're going to be an All Pro. Like, yeah, you you might be, but we're not learning a lot right now because Tom Brady like angrily shakes off plays as if he is the pitcher and Byron Leftwich is the catcher. I didn't mean any subtext to that joke, but I caught it as soon as I said it. That's my bad. And just, like, shook him off. Like, no, go. go. Yeah. And that's it. Like, Adam Gase, to turn that into two head coaching jobs, Ryan Tannehill is now a legitimate quarterback in the NFL, despite Adam Gase repeatedly trying to ruin him in Miami. And then the same thing happened to Sam Darnold. That team never won a game without Sam Darnold in the entire time he was a Jet. How sad is that statistic? Yeah. Well, like I said, we, we're we're Adam Gase free now. Did he end up anywhere? Is he anywhere? Do you know? I, I assume know. he's like a positional coach somewhere. Maybe. And the Giants lost, so the trifecta for the New York teams, just for the record. Yeah, I think uh, – I, I don't know about the Giants this year, man. I don't, I don't, maybe Daniel Jones is going to be good. I we'll don't see, know. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll see if Barkley's healthy too, right? So he's coming off of, obviously, major knee injuries, so yeah. who knows. But I also think their offensive line is essentially a turnstile and has been for the last 15 years. Yeah, I don't think there's any news news stories coming out of week one. I mean, it said the Bucks and Chiefs won. I mean, maybe the Steelers was actually the surprise of the week, but maybe. I don't know. I mean, there were some blowouts. Like, I'm surprised that the uh, no, Pat Ante hair. Either that, way, yeah, yeah, good. So, all right, let's switch. Uh, we got some Bitcoin news. Your Always favorite, exciting. your favorite, our new adopted favorite country, El Salvador, buys Bitcoin. So it's a uh, officially a currency in El Salvador. So uh, I saw some uh, Twitter images going around with uh, receipts. Yeah, McDonald's paying for Bitcoin with Bitcoin, nice. so it's uh, officially a currency in uh, El Salvador. They immediately watched their uh, investment plummet after they bought, after they bought their. Uh, I don't know. I think they bought like something like four hundred Bitcoin, a two two hundred, maybe a two hundred and one hundred fifty Bitcoin purchase back to back days. So nice, uh, but it is officially official in El Salvador, and Bitcoin is now a currency that I don't know how that actually affects any of the. Uh, you know, people talk about maybe you have some inkling of some of this, like when they talk about ETFs and whatever, and they're all trying to do these cryptos. But will these countries adopting it as currency actually mess up the idea that it's an asset of? Yes. So, it, well, if it's only El Salvador, no. But if other countries start adopting it, which, in my humble opinion, they should or something similar, um, 
then yes, it's going to screw up. I mean, you can get right now, though, I, I believe they have ETFs of different currencies where you can just buy them against the dollar as hedges against inflation or deflation. So, I mean, it'll always be an asset class, I suppose, the same way that any currency is. You can invest in currencies. You can. Yeah. I just didn't know if that was going to mess it up along the way. If they're, uh, you know, I know you can trade currencies, but you can, I don't know, they're trying to make these ETFs. I don't know if it's all the same thing. So, all right. Anything that screws up hedge funds and the IRS, I'm automatically in favor of, (laughs) period. There you go. Uh, And one of our other favorite topics is also in the news. uh, Jeffrey Epstein. Well, actually, Prince Andrew is actually in the news. I'm just happy you didn't call him my boy this time. Your boy. So. Your boy, Prince Andrew. We're making progress. Uh, he is, uh, I'm sure he's not at the hearing, but there is a hearing in New York today. Uh, Virginia Jaffray, who is one of the uh, uh, most uh, outspoken victims of Jeffrey Epstein, has sued uh, her. Uh, she is the girl in the famous Prince Andrew photo with his arm around her waist, who said that the fingers were photoshopped in. That was, a, that was an excuse one day. <laughs> but anyway she sued uh she sued prince andrew and uh there is a hearing today in new york so we will keep an eye on that uh kind of see what happens but there's uh plenty of uh connection between prince andrew and jeffrey epstein going back decades and you know we'll see if some of this uh kind of brings some of the new names to the public uh eye i guess yeah i'm not gonna hold my breath but i will be hopeful um, I'm going to hope for it. I, I'm just not optimistic at this point of still remarkable that we don't talk about this more. Not you and I, I society. We don't, we don't talk about this. Story. I mean, there's a lot going on. Don't get me wrong, but went on there, but instead it's like, yeah, Jeffrey Epstein was a terrible guy. And that Prince Andrew looks suspect. Yeah. I mean, All right, moving on. I think they're just waiting for some of these, uh, main culprits, the Prince Andrews, Bill Clinton's of the world to just get old enough to where they can just take them out and be like, okay, yeah, he did it, but he's 80. So who cares now? Oh my God. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll keep paying attention to that. Like I said, I'll, I, you know, I have fingers crossed that we'll get something out of these hearings, but it, it can't hurt, right? I no. mean, it's it's a it's a step in the right direction. I feel like so we should be having them. They yes. should be happening. Yes. What's happening tomorrow, Mister Hughesong, in California? Wild stuff. This could be interesting. So, it's just a governor's race, but I think it's going to have. So if if the recall is successful, which uh, you guys, if you don't know, Governor Newsom is uh, up for recall. The early voting has been going underway for maybe a week or so. Yep. And the culmination of that will be tomorrow, Tuesday, uh, September 14th. There will be a in-person vote election and in California. And it's kind of a cool process. You you know how this works, Ben? You've no, I just it? had to Google California recall election. Oh, okay. So they ha- there's only two questions on the ballot. One is, do you want to recall Gavin Newsom? the current governor, yes or no. And then there's a list of, I don't know, I'm going to guess like 60 people, and you just get to pick one. Awesome. Yeah. You get to pick one, and whoever has the most wins. <laughs> Seriously, that's, that's awesome. a great, that's a, I, I wish New York had that. I'm in. You, yeah. So literally, that's why there's so many people running for office, because this is, this, this is how Arnold Schwarzenegger got into office. Do you know that? I did, actually. No, I didn't realize it was that was how the process, yeah, but and obviously, obviously it was via He was very popular of the, amongst the hundred and whatever people who he uh-huh. ran against, so, and that's how he became the governor. So the current frontrunner, Larry Elder, who on a side note, I, uh, I wouldn't say I met, but he was, I was in the same room with him a couple times uh, during the 2016 Libertarian con- con- Convention. He was the moderator for our presidential debate, and so he was uh, there on the grounds uh, doing some things and uh, okay. keeping our candidates uh, on their P's and Q's, I guess. Sure. Uh, but he is a talk show host. Yes. Uh, I would say 
I don't know how he describes himself, but I think he has some libertarian leanings in him, so he's an interesting candidate for, sure. for, for me anyway. You know who uh, uh, came out and endorsed Mr. Elder, if I saw this correctly? I'm not sure who. Rose McGowan. Oh, yeah, they appeared together. Do you know the little story behind that? Not really. That she would call in. So the story is Rose McGowan, who we all know from the Harvey Weinstein uh Weinstein. Quick background on Rose McGowan, if we may, sure. was she was one of the very early and very prominent accusers of Harvey Weinstein. Weinstein. Weinstein, yeah. And was very, very vocal and adamant about it for a very long time and was huge in the Me Too movement and then sort of turned on the Democrat Party when they refused to go after their own. And she, well, she didn't really like that. So she became a very, God bless the woman, like she is true to her principles through and through of she doesn't care about your party. If if this is what you did, she's coming for you. And then if you want to look the other way to excuse it, whether it's Donald Trump, Bill Clinton, whomever, Andrew Cuomo, she ain't having any part of it. She's coming for everybody. She she is just like, this is her mission and this is what she is about. And she is consistent. I will give her that. And it's uh it it's I find it kind of admirable. She's a clearly unique uh individual and uh acts accordingly, right? I mean, she is mm-hmm. definitely someone who marches to the beat of her own drum so which i appreciate more people should do that but so her the story with her and larry elder apparently gavin newsom's wife this was way before the recall election was going on this is back during the harvey weinstein or weinstein is it weinstein i think it's weinstein weinstein so during the harvey harvey weinstein stuff with rose mcgowan one mrs newsom called rose mcgowan and asked her if there was a way that they could uh kind of make it right with the Harvey Weinstein stuff. So she just came out with this a couple of days ago, basically saying that Gavin Newsom's wife was trying to uh, get her to shut up about Weinstein back in the day and thought it was important that she made that news. Uh, Come on. Pub- I swear to God, I'm looking at the article right now. I just pulled it up. Oh, my goodness. So I don't, you know, that's this is her word versus their word. And there's some, there was definitely some conversation with somebody from, Mrs. Newsom and Rose McGowan about Harvey Weinstein back in the day. Um, Rose McGowan's assertion is that it was trying to get her to kind of what, what it would take to her to go away kind of thing. So, but anyway, so she wow. did show up with Larry Elder, who is the leading Republican candidate uh, at a, an event uh, yesterday in California. And, you know, she is, I think more uh, where I, why I respect Rose McGowan is she's more fighting up versus down fight versus left yes. versus right, right? So she, as long as she's fighting that fight, I'm on the same side as she is. So um, I like consistency. Yeah. I like that you stick to your principles. If this is your thing, follow through on your thing. Don't look the other way when you like it's the greater good because it's, this party is just this exceptional evil and the, your party's the good guy. No, right is right, wrong is wrong. Great job of that. It's very, very respectful. Oh, Admirable. I'm going to stick with that word. Um, and on a related note, I really want Larry Elder to win for no reason other than I'm on Team Chaos at this point, and whatever is going to be the funniest storyline to go in, I'm in. You got it. I'm on. I'm on board. Recall. I'm on Team Recall as well. Yep. And I, Elder seems to be have the, the 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 large majority of the vote. So if there is a recall, it's pretty much down to a Larry Elder versus uh, Gavin Newsom race in, in a sense. Um, I'm but on, I think it's more of a people versus the power. It should be. It should be. And I'm also on Team Recall because their their measures are just as draconian as our own, and they're insane. Like, right, and that's that's so. This recall wasn't necessarily started because of COVID, but it gained steam because of COVID. So, oh, like for they did sure. one of these uh, online thingamajiggers, and it was on there for a while, and you know they had some 
traction from the you know right. listen, there's still 40 percent republicans in california which is a gigantic state so there's a lot of a lot of republicans there um but it didn't it you know it didn't really gain steam until the covid lockdowns and specifically the you guys remember the french laundry stuff right so where he had bad. put this big whole mask mandate on indoor dining um all the stuff was going on and nothing right so um then he went out to dinner at the French Laundry, which is, as you may have guessed, an exceedingly nice restaurant. And he went and had dinner. And then there were some pictures that surfaced. And there's somebody who had an eyewitness account. And they said, like, dude, did you go out to dinner without a mask on? Well, they probably didn't call him dude. but And he Maybe. said, well, you know, it was probably poor judgment. But we were sitting outside. We were distanced. And, I, you know, it was probably bad optics. I should have known better. But, yeah, we, we were outside and we were all distanced. And then the pictures came out. And, folks, they were neither outside nor distanced. They were about as far away as you and I are right now and about as outside as you and I are right now. Uh, And so then he got caught red-handed in that lie, which I think we even talked about at the time of, hey, guys, if if these people really thought this was all necessary, do you think they would be violating it? Like, if they thought there was an actual threat to them by indoor dining without a mask on, do you think they would ever actually do it? And the answer is no. Because they're narcissists and sociopaths, and I'm glad he's being recalled. I hope it's successful. Yeah, and so what I really kind of want to talk about, because it doesn't necessarily impact us directly, but I'm hoping that the recall is a recall on the COVID sanctions, right? Like all these regulations, all these mandates, all this stuff, everything that's been going down for the last year and a half, I'm hoping that this is the first measurable public pushback against that and because Newsom was kind of tied to all the California lockdowns and that French laundry thing that I do think that if he is recalled the people who are on pro lockdown should take note and I don't think that's going to be the end of it if 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 this does like you know even if it's close it's kind of amazing that it would even happen so um, the fact that we're this far along is some kind of already a public pushback against it but the cherry on top was just to take this guy out. And then you'd have basically Cuomo and Newsom, the two, you know, white horses from the from the anti-Trump uh, world back in the early COVID days who these two governors basically turned out to be shitbags. Pardon my language. No, but, they didn't turn out to be. They were all along. Sure. Um, so anyway. Petty I, I, tyrants that abuse every level of power they are given to exceed their own authority, fulfill their own self-enrichment, and take care of their own friends and donors. Yeah. So... We'll keep an eye on that, and we'll talk about that next week. Hopefully, uh, it'll be some interesting uh, Larry Elder. Maybe we'll get Larry Elder on the show. There you go. I'm sure he'll, he'll come on. <laughs> Huge fan of the show. Um, I'll, just, I'll just tell him I met him in 2016. you got to put Matt in air quotes. Kind of Matt. You kind of met him. Yeah. Um, this is kind of a tie-in between what we're talking about now and then getting into the the new vaccine rules from uh, from President Biden. So I had a conversation over the weekend with a gentleman who I know not Fair, not intimately well, but we're acquaintances. We, we see each other around a lot. We're involved in similar things. And he was talking about how he and his wife had gotten COVID, gotten vaccinated, and then gotten it again recently and had just come off quarantine and they had the exact same symptoms again. And you could see this gentleman was kind of struggling with, like, he didn't want to say, like, why, why did I get vaccinated? This was no different. But you could see he felt that way. And we're talking to a couple other people that I really don't know at all. And the, the one was like, yeah, that happened to me. The other guy's like, yeah, I ended up in a hospital. I was in there overnight. I really thought I was going to die. I was only there for a day, but I, I couldn't breathe. They got me back, and I was okay. You're like, man, that's crazy. And then they asked me, and I was like, well, I mean, I, I had it, but I had a very, very mild case. I'm very big on vitamin D and all this other stuff. And so then I got it. And he goes, well, when did you get it? I said, early in the spring. 
And he goes, oh, well, did you get vaccinated? I said, no, because I, I knew that natural immunity was fine. And I've, I've been reading the studies all along. And I, even when they were saying it wasn't that good, I was calling bullshit because I was like, no, nah, it's a lie. This is good. This is effective. I, the studies all indicate it's very robust and very long lasting. And he's like, see, that's what I mean. I don't get it. And you could still even this and the other and like two of the other people gave me that look of like, you're not vaccinated and i was like well i just i got over it and i'm i'm good i got acquired immunity i'm I'm sitting pretty and it was what i took away from it was this guy did everything he was supposed to do got vaccinated after getting covid got it again quarantined and everything symptomatic case not hospitalized but got it same same thing lost smell lost taste felt like he had the flu for a second time even that guy was careful about his words and was speaking in like hushed tones. So this is not to be painted as somebody who was like belittling the vaccines of like, I, I mean, I, I, the vaccine, I get it. I guess it's, uh, you know, it, it works somewhat, but I, I don't know. And I'm, all I can do is kind of laugh. Like my God, the mental conditioning we have gone through to the idea that that person of all people is not allowed to be somewhat critical of the vaccine. Like, it's there's literally a public shaming going on. It's amazing. I mean, luckily, I don't care what anybody thinks about me, so I just that does help. Yeah, I just keep rolling, and whatever happens, happens. <laughs> but I can see how people, and I've seen people who would otherwise just make a reasonable, otherwise you know uncontroversial statement, be ridiculed to no end because they didn't just admit that the other side was a hundred percent right. Like they can't even offer any nuance without being just labeled. Again, a conspiracy theorist, anti-vaxxer, whatever you want to do, it's it's literally crazy. Yeah, there was another woman who said about uh, some some. I don't want to give away too much because I don't want to like give up anybody's identity here. But indoor activity involving children over the next couple of weeks, and she they're having a preliminary meeting about it. And she said, and her, uh, you know what? I'm just I got to tell you, my daughter is only 11, so she can't be vaccinated. I think she's 10, um, and I've kept her safe through this entire pandemic and I'm not prepared to put her health at risk now. So I'm really uncomfortable about letting her come out to this place one hour a week for indoor, even with masks on, it makes me very nervous. And that's, that is the conditioning that I'm talking about of like, you didn't let her play any sports. You didn't let her do any activities. You didn't let her do anything inside. You didn't let her go see her friends. You didn't let her go over to family members, houses, all to protect her from a virus that poses absolutely 0% statistical risk to her. Like people, are, the people have lost their what's minds. That, I think I'm going to butcher this, but what's the is it the sunk cost fallacy in economics? Yeah, yes, isn't that exactly the same thing? Basically, yes. just outlined. She's like, I did all this stuff to get to this point. I can't undo I can't it now. Stop now. She thinks she's all in. It's moral superiority born of ignorance. That's what it is. It's you have no incentive to find out the truth because right now you feel like you've gone through a battle and that you're fighting and winning. And in reality, all you've done is you didn't actually have to do a thing. You just didn't let your daughter do anything. You just let her be scared and live in fear while you did the same and never allowed her to do anything. And now you're claiming I kept her safe. No, you didn't. She would have been perfectly safe without you. Maybe safer. Like, what are we? And and better off. Right. And now that person has no qualms about coming out and spewing that level of ignorance. And everybody just kind of nods along like, yeah, sure. Even if they don't agree. You're just like, oh, yeah, because I don't want to I don't want to burst your little bubble of like uh, statistically you did nothing. And she was at zero risk to begin with. And you've been lied to for the last 18 months. And like, if you want to see the studies, I'll show them to you because nobody's going to say yes to that. They're going to look at me and be like, oh, you're one of those people. Like, yep, I'm one of those people, whatever that is. Um, 
And I, I just, it was a stark contrast that I'm trying to make sense of in my mind right now of the one guy, they, like both parties did everything that they were told to do and everything they were expected to do by society. One is now real world living example of like, this did nothing. And he can't be vocally critical of it to be like, I mean, what, what the hell was the point? And this guy's probably 35, 40 years old in tremendous physical shape. Like, he's over here, like, so hesitant to say anything at all negative. And this woman is just spewing nonsense that has been debunked for months. And over here, like, ah, it's just, I mean, obviously, I'm in the right, and I don't know what to do about the rest of you. Like, I don't know, ignore us, go away. Take your daughter. Stop and go engaging home. us. How about that? Yeah, just go home. Fine, go remote again. I don't care. And so obviously we, we're, we're talking about the mandates. You know, obviously we talked. Uh, we didn't talk about this since this happened, but Biden, uh, you know, put out a mandate on all private businesses, basically all businesses of a hundred uh, employees or anything over a hundred employees. Um, immediately, like I don't know, sixteen, eighteen Republican-led governors said they're not going to do it. So it's going to go to the courts, I'm assuming, at this point. And it was I'm inevitably ho- hopefully, going to. Right, hopefully sooner than later. So there were, it's not, this is just dragging out. But I, I feel like that was a foregone conclusion. If if they were going to try to make this happen, it was going to eventually end up in the courts. But you can see, and uh, you don't see it here in the news, but if you pay attention to some uh, foreign countries who are trying to adopt vaccine passports, it's not going well for them. No. Uh, there are massive protests going on in several countries. Um you know, m- more than a handful. So uh, we'll see how that unfolds here. Uh, if the courts don't go in a certain way, uh, you know, we have real life examples of this. And uh, one of our uh, local upstate hospitals kind of got uh, into the news a little bit uh, recently here because there's a story of them losing or stopping their maternity ward uh, in large part because of staffing shortages started by the vaccine mandates. So they've had, uh, I think the one maternity ward had seven already uh, resignations and they expect more, which the deadline is the 27th. So on the 28th, they expect at least another six. So they basically paused birthings at this hospital uh, Amazing, because they don't have enough staff to man the situation. And this is all because of a vaccine mandate. And I don't know if you've seen the video, there's somebody, I think it's in... Uh, yeah, I can't. The Southern state uh, might be Texas or like, like Arkansas. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to move the state, but there's a basically a nurse who just who was forced to resign uh, by a certain date, and she just showed up the next day in uniform and just kept going. And she's like, "Okay, kick me out." So basically, they had to get security and get her out of there. She's like, "Oh," she goes, "I know I'm not fired." She goes, "I didn't see any termination notice. You know, I didn't quit. So what's going on here?" And she goes, and basically, they had to. She had to be escorted off the ground. So there's going to be a, a bunch of this stuff going on here. So, right. So we had this right here in our own little neck of the woods up in Lowellville. Most of you guys know this, uh, Lewis County, I think it is. So, uh, it's a tiny town. I'm sure this is a small hospital and it was making national news. I mean, I, I've saw it tweeted like thousands yeah. and thousands of times. It was one of the main stories on Reddit. It's, it's, it's a, a little small microcosm of what I think is going to be a large issue sp- specifically in New York, come September 28th. It's going to get real dumb real fast. Uh, there's no question. Now, now, let's back up to the the van, Biden mandating yeah. the vaccines. All right? Here's my overarching takeaway of, like, one time. I just want a politician from either party on a national level to be asked about something like this and go, you know, I really want everybody to do it, but that's really not the role of the government to force people to do that. There was no polio-mandated vaccines. No, it's weird. 
So the idea is, all right, you're you're mandating this. And look, you could be as pro-vaccine as you want to be. You have to see how this is wrong. You have to see how troubling this trajectory that we are currently on is. You're talking about private employers that have just happen to have over 100 people working for them, that it's the federal government's role to step in and not only say, I, I get it, it's a safety thing, and they have to mandate helmet use and all this other sh- stuff. Yeah, I got it. I'm with you. But now you're talking about you are coercing employers into coercing employees into taking a medicine that they don't want. Because if they wanted it, they would have already had it. So obviously they don't want it for whatever reason. And maybe it's because they have natural immunity. Maybe it's because they uh, just don't want it and they're good. Maybe it's religious. Maybe it's medical. And I go, they're going to allow for exemptions, but they're going to get denied a lot too. Um, Remind me of the six powers, the six enumerated powers in the Constitution expressly granted to the federal government. Where the hell is this power? Uh, That is long. Right. Oh, it's interstate (laughs) commerce. Are you guys kidding me? So, all right. And he's doing this through OSHA somehow, right? It's OSHA because it's a health and safety regulation. So health and safety regulation means I'm going to be fired if I refuse to inject a vaccine into myself. That, please note, the only stated benefit, the only thing they can claim whatsoever of benefit of this vaccine is that it will reduce your likelihood of being hospitalized or dying. That's it. Won't stop you from getting it. Won't stop you from spreading it. Doesn't even impact it. No impact whatsoever. Only benefit at this point is, well, it looks like you're less likely to be hospitalized or die. So, again, why am I being mandated to take a vaccine to protect you when there is no protection to you, this has nothing to do with safety of other people in the office. This has to do with you, the government stepping in and coercing medical treatment onto somebody else. This is insanity. All right. This is not even a gray area. This is so cut, dry, black, white that I can't believe this is real life. And there's morons out here supporting this. I mean, oh my God, there's never been a bigger indictment of our public education system than the fact that we don't understand enough history to understand why this is a step too far. And in reality, this step too far was about 25 years ago. But this right here is an inexcusable justification because, folks, if they can do this, what can they not mandate because of health and safety? What can't they do? Because, again, the vaccine does not protect you. It protects only the person who got it. That's the only benefit. And yes, I know there's other studies now popping up left and right about, oh, it looks like the vaccine early indications from the early data indicate that maybe there's at least some chance that it might have a, have a negative impact on spread you know, temporarily. Stop, please, please just stop because you're claiming a benefit that even the vaccine manufacturers, the people making money off of the sale of this vaccine and have zero li- legal liability whatsoever, cannot be sued for anything bad that happens. Even they're not comfortable making that statement. They won't even come out and be like, yeah, it looks like it helps with spread. Because it doesn't. Because you're manipulating data to make it suit what you want it to say, and it doesn't say that. And they've been doing this all along. So anybody can justify this to me without sounding like a complete moron. I'm in. But the reality is I, you are so quickly and so eagerly giving up every bit of personal autonomy, every bit of freedom, everything that you have to Joe Biden. 
What is wrong with you as I mean, a human being? I mean, whoever's running Joe Biden. I'm fine. Uh, listen, it's the same thing. Like, if I told you the same exact situation, I'd be like, hey, you're going to hand over this, and it's all because Donald Trump said so. That's what you're going to do? You're comfortable with this? No way, because Trump's a monster. Like, holy crap, guys. It's the same entity. It is the federal government. All right? Same people running Joe Biden. They're slightly different that we're running Donald Trump. Now, granted, they're getting much more success with, I don't know. I, I can't even say that, so I'm not going to say that. Um. But it's not about, even if you agree that everybody should be vaccinated, your ignorance of not understanding what the actual benefit of vaccination is, oh, and let's add on the kicker, that doesn't even hold. Because after about six months, even the efficacy for that drops below 40%, and then it continues to wane. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, they are not bringing out booster shots because the vaccine's working so well after two doses. Look at Israel. Look at England. Look at New York, look around, look at all these states and countries and regions that have these super high vaccination rates and then compare their COVID numbers now to where they were last year. I'll give you a hint. They're all higher. Speaking of that, I can go right to Cornell University, Mr. Hughesong. 95% vaccination rate and they have five times as many cases their first week of classes than they did the first week of classes last year. This was a... Article written by a student there who was uh, denied a medical exemption and then wrote an article about basically all the data surrounding Cornell and COVID. So another real life, uh, real close to home example of things failing in real time. Uh, The The, vaccine here at Cornell being one of them. The cognitive dissonance that this requires is remarkable of unable, unwilling to make sense of two things. And everybody's like, yeah, it's so confusing why this is happening. Like, no. It's not confusing. It's because they had a flawed trial where even with all of the people between the control group and the people that received the vaccine, do you know how many actually developed symptomatic COVID, which was the measuring stick? Do you know what the overall number is Mm -hmm. out of the entire trial? Less than 1% across both groups. So out of, let's call it 100,000 people, and I'm making these numbers up. The percentages are accurate. I'm doing this just for the demonstration point. Out of 100,000 people, 1,000. That means 99,000 people in the trial got nothing wrong, whether they took the placebo or the vaccine. And so then when they say, well, it's 94% effective at preventing symptomatic COVID, like, aren't you a little bit suspect at that point of going, so the overall risk was below 1% to begin with? Okay, and then when you, oh, yeah, by the way, this is also when the average age is 51. Nobody's accounting for any comorbidities. I'm sorry, only 20% of the participants had a comorbidity which is again mind-boggling and now we know that you look at israel they were the first to vaccinate guess what's happening they're being overrun and a lot of it is with vaccinated people and it's going to continue on this trend there's no reason to believe that this is suddenly going to do a a 90 degree or a 180 degree turn and go the other way other than hope there's nothing in fact there's nothing in data there's nothing to indicate that that should happen other than you want it to that's not a good justification. It's not happening. So, yeah, whether it's Cornell, whether it's New York State right now, look at our numbers and how much higher they are this year than last year. They're way higher. We're missing something, guys. We're missing it. And now they just came out with a new study that said you're 11 times more likely to die if you're unvaccinated. Like, oh, so you just picked 13 random regions from around the country, skewed the data, and then came to that conclusion. Oh, by the way, that was three months into vaccines for most people. 
the best part about those three studies in the Washington Post, we'll talk about this next week. <laughs> All the older groups who are actually at risk of COVID, their rates went up with being vaccinated. They, that was more dangerous for them. They had a higher likelihood of dying. They, they couldn't establish causation there, of course. But, you know, they, they're trying to figure out an explanation. Uh, how is this possibly this hard to put together the, the overall understanding of what is happening here? They're not working. We were sold something that is not living up to what it was sold. If this was something you bought over the counter, you'd ask for a refund. I like, and now fine. You want to take it, take it. You want to take every booster shot for the next six months forever. Good. God bless you. Go have at it. Stop trying to force other people to take it. It is insanity. It has never had any impact on spread that has been well-established all along. What are we doing? It's not as we've talked about, this is not about safety anymore. It's just about compliance. They want people to do what they want them to, what they're told to do. And they're going to keep pushing until enough people push back. I do, I do want to <clears throat> piggyback on the hospital crisis. Cause there was another article from Canandaigua who is uh, another local uh, uh, West of here, I believe. Uh, their CEO, they had 90 openings out of 1800, uh, pre COVID. Now they have 294 and they expect that numbers to continue to go higher. So it's not just one isolated hospital in Lowellville. It's, uh, it's going to be a crisis here across the state because there's, there's, there's not enough people to, to do the jobs that they're asking them to do. And they're forcing the, the, the people who have been there for the last 18 months out of, out of their jobs. Think about the stupidity of what we're actually going to do here. We're about to hit flu season October, November with a normal Hope Simpson seasonality curve of any flu-like virus, which, my God, COVID is a flu-like virus. I didn't call it the flu. Please shut up. But it's a flu-like virus. So knowing that and knowing that that's going to come along and we're going to get the normal seasonality spike just like we did last year. But now combine that with the fact that everybody's running around with a vaccine that drops in efficacy steadily. All right? It's not like a little bit of a drop. It went from 92 to 80 to 60 to 40. That's where we are after six months. And pretty soon we'll have the seven-month dad out of Israel. It won't be covered in the press. You're going to have to go find it. Don't worry. We will. And when that comes out, you're going to probably see that it dropped even more. Now, the booster shots are going to give you an uptick. Now, is there any reason to think that the booster shot made of the exact same stuff that the first two shots were made of is going to provide long-lasting immunity? Is not going to follow the exact same pattern? Any reason whatsoever to think that that's true? No. So I I don't understand why people are hanging their hopes to this. So back to the stupidity of all of this. You're number one, you're going to get some people who just aren't going to take the booster shot because they're going to realize they've been lied to and now they're skeptical and they don't want it. Or we had a lot of adverse reactions to the second shot, much more than the first. What's the third shot going to do? I don't know. We're not even looking. We're acting like that's not a possibility. Um, So you have all this coming in just as seasonality hits, just as the efficacy drops below to almost the point of useless, as if you never got vaccinated to begin with. And if you think I'm wrong, look up how Israel defines a fully vaccinated person now. Because it's no longer somebody who received two shots. Now it's either you have to have had a booster, you had to have your second shot within the previous five months, or you had to have had the, had a case of COVID and recovered with an antibody test or recovered plus at least, I think, one or two vaccine shots plus five months. You no longer, if the average person just goes and gets two shots, after five months you no longer count as vaccinated in Israel. You are entitled to none of the things that those people are allowed to do. You are unvaccinated. So the same thing's about to happen here, guys. You're coming into peak flu season this winter. We're going to have so many cases of COVID. It's going to be absurd. 
You're going to have people that are wholly unprotected because we all st- we all quarantined last year. We all stayed away from each other. We didn't have and go about and get the normal. That's why RSV is so high amongst children. Probably. I shouldn't say that so definitively, but probably one of the reasons why it's so high. So think of this perfect storm where you have the normal seasonality spike coming. You have vaccines that are about to wear off to nothing to begin with. And then you're going to short all your hospital staffs by 20%. How do we think this is going to go? I, I genuinely would love to know. Here's my prediction personally for the, for the COVID booster shots based on the data I've seen. There's going to be an initial spike. It's probably going to get you back up to 80%, 90% overall. I think there's some reason to think it'll last a little bit longer because this is going to be so much more spread out than the first two shots were, and I assume they're going to up the dosage a little bit for this. So you're probably going to be able to get, I don't know, I'm going to, I'm going to guess somewhere on the low end, two months on the long end, let's go six months of added bonus protection. and then it's going to, But it'll wane. It'll continue dropping over time. It's not going to stay high, but it'll be a steady decrease. And I'm going to guess on the, up, on the far side, let's go eight months. I can't see it lasting eight months, but maybe it will. After that, it's going to fall back below 40%, 30%. It's going to have to require another booster if you want to keep going down this road. So I can't see how that's not what's going to happen. Now, I could be wrong, as I've indicated several times on the show. I'm not a scientist. I am not a doctor. I just am good at recognizing patterns, and I think that I'm good at logic. So if I can follow along on something... We keep following like, well, then A and B and C and D, and then some public health official comes in and goes, I'm telling you there's a chance R could be next. And I'm sitting there going, but it's never come next in the alphabet before. And they're going, well, shut up, you science denier. It could be yes. You don't know. It's completely new. And I'm going, but I think that E comes after D normally, right? Well, you don't know. You didn't write this alphabet. You have no idea what could come next. It could be X. What if they went to G? And I'm going, but, but E would be next. And then E comes next, and everybody goes, well, thank God. You should have used Greek letters for this. It would have been way better. My bad. I thought of that on the spot. <laughs> that was not a well-thought-out analogy. But it's that, like, okay, it's going down this exact same path. It's always gone down, and we're acting as if, well, it's a novel virus. But that doesn't mean throw away everything we've ever learned about medicine. Well, you know, we're in luck, Mr. Hughesong. Is, he, is he here? He is here. Oh, Mr. McKernan is here timing. just on time. So, uh Oh, hey, First, hey. I guess we'll make sure that all the uh, uh, audible uh, connections are good. Mr. McKernan, can you hear me now? I can hear you guys great. Coming through loud and clear. Excellent. Uh, well, thank you for uh, joining us again. Uh, uh, if those of you who don't know, Mr. McKernan is a scientist and entrepreneur, uh, a, a man of uh, many, many qualities. And uh, today we're going to talk about uh, some science and some COVID. Um, Mr. McKernan, though, before we get into COVID, you are the chief science officer of uh, medicinal genomics. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. What do you guys, what do you guys do at medicinal genomics? Well, our, our take on a lot of this medical mayhem is that we need to make um, libraries of open source compounds from, from natural naturally occurring medicinal plants or fungi public uh, so that they're less patentable and so that they rise uh, all boats, if you will. So we've been doing a lot of genomics and and a lot of sequencing on um, medical cannabis uh, and on Psilocybe cubensis. These are are organisms that make cannabinoids and make uh, tryptamines that are known to be therapeutic in, in, in COVID. So, uh, we did, we were doing this long before COVID though. We've just been, um, uh, attracted to this type of research because we feel it's, it's underfunded. And because these compounds don't have perhaps as, as strong patentability as the compounds, they're often ignored by the pharmaceutical industry, but they're incredibly therapeutic and non-toxic. So uh, we build picks and shovels for that industry. 
All right. Uh, first off, I apologize. You had to hear my rant. I, 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 I normally can keep it under control a little better than that one. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> so, you saved me from having to do it. <laughs> it'll probably mean more coming from you. So let's let's go that way. Yeah. Uh, all right. So we talked about PCR tests last time about some of the just inefficiencies and some of the problems with asymptomatic testing in general. Um, let's start with there. Any reason that that would have changed? Is there any reason to indicate that asymptomatic testing is actually making sense now? No, actually, everything's gotten more confusing and worse. And the main reason why is that uh, the vaccinated will, of course, be PCR positive. Uh, and likewise, people who are naturally immune who get reinfected can be PCR positive. Uh, so now we have a scenario where we don't know what a PCR positive means. Is this an infectious person? Is this an at-risk person? Uh, I'd argue if there was someone who's naturally immune who becomes PCR positive again, they're probably not infectious. Uh, they're going to clear that very quickly, and you've just picked them up at a brief, brief interval. Um, likewise, the, the folks who are vaccinated, if they're PCR positive again, well, we know they can spread it. So we don't know if they're infectious or not from just a single PCR test. We probably need to do two PCR tests or do a rapid antigen test to gauge a sense of whether or not they're in fact infectious post-vaccination uh, when they're still PCR positive. So uh, my concern is the PCR tests now are still being used the same way they were in the past. And no one is making these um, this nuance between what the data now means, given we have multiple different cohorts in the population. We have the unvaccinated, we have the vaccinated with one with three and maybe in some places four. Uh, and, uh, of course, we have those who have natural immunity. And um, PCR doesn't distinguish between any of them very well. Um, in fact, there are papers now emerging showing that the vaccinated have equal CT scores as the unvaccinated in many of the studies with Delta variants. Um, there was actually a paper from Vietnam, Vietnam that showed it was even higher, like 251-fold higher. That's still a preprint, but I, I did comb through the PCR methods there, and uh, there, there's a good argument uh, that they may, in fact, have equal or higher viral loads when they're vaccinated. So um, I get nervous when I see uh, vaccines that pe with vaccine passports about segregating cohorts of people that don't have different viral loads. This doesn't make any sense to me. Um, the, the viral load is tightly correlated with adverse outcomes. If you have you know, very high viral loads, you are likely to be more sick. Uh, and if, the, if the, the vaccinated are coming out the same viral load as the unvaccinated, uh, well, then I, this, this vaccine doesn't make uh, any sense for segregating people. So is there a chance of unvaccinated or excuse me vaccinated individuals with a higher viral load what is the likelihood of that leading to more of the asymptomatic or pre-symptomatic spread from vaccinated persons so that's a really good question um i was very skeptical about asymptomatic spread with the alpha variants or the or the, the wuhan strain because when that was measured no one could find it uh, or at least if they did find it, it was constrained to indoor settings at very low frequencies below 0.7% in one particular JAMA article. Um, now, now things have changed, and there's a Delta variant that people claim uh, with the vaccine you have less symptoms, which means you have become perhaps an overconfident asymptomatic spreader. Um, and uh, I don't know if that's true. Um, I, I, uh, this is what I'm hearing through a lot of different channels, is that you're, you, you should get less symptoms if you have the vaccine. Um, but if it is true, that does mean that we have created asymptomatic spread when we didn't really have it before. Uh, and uh, that, that could be what's going on in some of these countries that are, that are hyper-vaccinated, um, where we're seeing spikes in cases in Israel and Iceland, Gibraltar, Seychelles, Maldives, I mean, around the world, uh, we are seeing a, a caseload increase post-vaccination. Um, 
Now, we don't know if that's the Delta variant independently having that type of uh, being more transmissible or, or if there's uh, actually a neutropenia event going on with the vaccine. What, what was evident in the Pfizer trial is that there was uh, uh, there was lymphocytopenia in the Pfizer trial and neutropenia in the AstraZeneca trial after the first shot. So those are lowering of white blood cells, which means the people's immune systems are suppressed post the first shot. Uh, and what was evident in the Pfizer trial is over 409 patients had in the placebo arm got C19, and it was almost half of that in the, in the actual, um, I'm sorry, in the Vax arm. So more people, almost, almost one and a half times more people in the Vax arm got COVID than in the placebo arm if you looked after the first shot. The 95% efficiency number excludes that data and only looks at patients two weeks after the second shot. All right, so there's 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 a little bit of a statistical game going on here that they're not talking about, which is post-vaccination, there appears to be immunosuppression going on, uh, and that could be leading to um, you know more spread of, of COVID, particularly if, uh, if Delta variant is, in fact, more transmissible. So, um, yeah, the, the, it's a complicated field at the moment, but um, uh, something that I feel the, uh, the PCR tools need to be uh, updated to really be able to manage this, at least better, there's even better in, in information around what they can and can't do. All right, so into that, now I remember hearing something a couple of weeks or maybe a couple months ago now about how they're going to start coming out with a PCR system or test that will differentiate between influenza and SARS-CoV-2. Uh Listen, I, I don't even know what that means, quite honestly, so I'm hoping you can shed a little light on, can they not tell the difference now, and what will the distinction be, and how reliable will it be? So, yeah, there are tests out there that do differentiate these. BioFire is one of them that looks at, like, 21 different respiratory viruses. I do think it's a good idea because um, you want to be looking at uh, more viruses to know whether you have any cross-reactivity. And, and what do I mean by this? So there are some coronavirus tests that when you look at their proficiency testing, when they do ring excuse me, ring tests with um, other laboratories, they see that some of these late CTs are actually showing up on, on, on flu. So there's, there's one study done in Australia where uh, they, they tested these across um, a bunch of controls where they send around uh, known influenza cases to other labs and tell them to run their coronavirus tests on them. And, and they report back how many of them come back positive. And in this case, there was a couple hits, um, probably three out of a couple hundred that were sent around that uh, were late, like CTs of 37 or something that were popping hot for influenza. So if you only look for one virus, um, sometimes these tests will cross-react with, with the wrong virus at late CTs, and you end up not having that other bit of information. If you were looking at, bo- at both flu and COVID and RSV at the same time, um, you would see a higher signal for the other viruses and know that the late signal for coronavirus is probably just misleading. So I, d- I do think it's good to do this multiplex testing because in that environment, when flu disappears, it doesn't just disappear kind of mysteriously like it did last year. You can literally track its disappearance through the CTs moving around. Uh, when you're watching C19 relative to influenza in the population, I think you, you, you get more information that way. Now, some other changes occurred um, at that same time, which have a lot of people um, a bit concerned, which is the CDC came out saying that they were only going to monitor breakthrough cases uh, that were at a CT of 28. And what they meant by that is they'd only sequence verify anything that had a CT of 28 or lower. Typically, people are sequencing at a CT of 32 or lower. So that's about four CT difference or 16-fold difference in magnitude of the amount of RNA that's present that they will graduate to sequencing 
in the case of, the, of, of, of a vaccinated breakthrough estimation. So by having a tighter stringency on the, the CQs that they're using or the CT values, those terms used interchangeably, um, by having a, a more stringent value on the breakthrough cases, they are going to mo- they're going to see fewer breakthrough cases than they would if they're just monitoring um, the unvaccinated cohorts. Okay, so they've they've made different criteria for sequence validating breakthroughs than than, than calling normal people positive, and that that is going to skew the numbers, um, and that has some people upset that that's that that may lead to underestimating the rate of breakthroughs and overcalling people who are um, uh, who are unvaccinated a positive case. So um, that happened about the same time some of those tests came out. So in summary, I'm not as worried about them testing for more viruses because I think it will it'll bring more clarity to actually which ones are causing the epidemic. Um, however, we do need to keep in mind that when we turn on PCR testing of the flu, like we've been doing for COVID, it's going to initially look like the sky is falling because uh, we do not typically do this level of aggressive PCR for, for influenza. In fact, we don't test really asymptomatic influenza anywhere. Uh, you only test that when, it, when it's symptomatic. So we're going to see a similar like case-edemic, if you will, of people over-concerning themselves with the rate of influenza moving around simply because we have our eyes on it now. Man. I seem to recall the, the words you used last time. If we did asymptomatic testing for influenza the way we're doing now, that we would all be moving into bunkers in the woods, I think was the exact expression. That stuck with me. Um, so, okay, so we're still battling the audio thing, but I have some questions I would like to follow up on that. So um, we talked about asymptomatic spread and testing, but we haven't talked about uh, masks yet. Uh, I don't think we talked about masks uh, when you were on the first time. And I'm not, I started contemplating masks. I think it was you and Megan Mansell who I had in an exchange on Twitter talking about whether or not, you know, continued use of the mask were going to basically expel any trapped droplets that were there. And then can we talk about aerosol versus droplets and uh, how a mask is effective against either one of those? Yeah, this is an important point. I mean, I, I've built a lot of equipment that nebulizes droplets into aerosols. We we, we utilize this stuff for making emulsion PCR in um, building some sequencers we built, and we've also used this for uh, for nebulizing DNA and a lot of um, molecular methods we use in, on, on genome projects. So the thing about um, people have to keep in mind is these masks, if they're not fitted and sealed, they do not represent any of the mask studies that have suggested these things might work for, for stopping viruses. And so when you don't have these things fitted and sealed, you have holes on the outside, on the sides of your mask. What happens when you push a large volume through a small hole is kind of like putting your finger on the end of a hose. Uh, it's no longer a fluid stream out of your mouth. It turns into a, uh, a nebulization event where the larger droplets get broken down into smaller ones because they're forced to accelerate through a smaller aperture. Um, so this happens on the sides of your mask. Uh, where the the velocity of the air going through those holes is suddenly accelerating. And when that accelerates, it fractures droplets into smaller pieces. The same thing happens when you force droplet containing air through a screen. It's kind of like like trying to put a, a fire hose, if you will, through a chain link fence. As you get a the back side of the fence, you have smaller droplets that are on the front side of the fence. That's happening to masks as well. You can see that there's aer- these aerosols uh, on some of the cloth masks are actually increasing uh, on the outside of the mask versus the droplet size on the inside of the mask. So I don't believe these masks do anything but make matters worse. Um, and I've not seen a study yet that has 
there's one study in Bangladesh that just tried to painstakingly make some type of association that they worked. And it was just, uh, there's a good, um, I'd forward you to uh, uh, a substack from Bad Catitude that completely dewormed that study. Um, it's, uh, it, that thing is, is a disaster. But most of these other studies that we've gone through have shown the masks actually creating harm. Um, yet these are known and they were known for 20 for many years before 2020 and somehow in 2020 and 2021 the mask genies come out and change physics and uh, is forcing this junk on uh, junk science and all of our kids uh, so yeah the the mask thing is just the clearest sign that there's some some type of malfeasance at bay so just so i can clarify do you mean to tell me that bangladesh study is not the nail in the coffin of the discussion on mass as the author indicated I think it's a nail in the coffin of that author's career. <laughs> that was just a, yeah. That was a train wreck. I'm not a scientist. There's a better a dissection wreck. of it elsewhere. I just point people there. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So excellent. So I don't know. We, we talked about PCR. We talked about asymptomatic masks. Spike protein. Okay. So let's talk about um, the vaccines and spike proteins and any of these adverse events that may be uh, associated with that. So we were told that the spike protein, which is uh, good, was the going to be localized during the vaccine, right? It was going to stay in the, the, the shot area uh, that turned out not to be the case. Right. Um, right. Can you talk a little bit about that? I think the numbers I saw from the Japanese biodistribution study was 25% of it was staying local to the arm and 75% was going everywhere else. Um, so I, I should just qualify. I'm not a physician or a vaccinologist in any way. I'm a molecular biologist, and I, I know I've, I've transfected uh, mammalian cells before with with RNAs, not too dissimilar from what's going on here. Um, now, uh, all that being said, uh, so what I what I've conjured and read out of the literature is that these you have to understand the virus itself has a spike protein on it that that really targets what cell lines it can infect mostly ACE2 expressing cells, but it also has a couple other receptors. It does bind to CD147 and a few other receptors. Most of the news is focused on ACE2. But that means it doesn't infect every single cell in your body. There's probably 30 trillion cells in your body, and a, a subset of them have ACE2 expression. What the vaccine does, um, it doesn't have a spike protein. It just has a, a, a lipid coat, which means it can transfect any cell line in your body. And uh, it, it tends to be accumulating in the spleen and the ovaries. Uh, there was some evidence of it getting into the brain. It was very low levels in the brain, but um, there is still some concern that um, spike protein expression in the brain, even at low levels, may be problematic just due to the nature of um, uh, how easily it's cleared. But um, so this is a, a non-targeted approach. And we don't know what happens when we express these spike proteins in every single tissue in the body. We, we've mostly seen what happens when the virus does this, and that gives you one side effect profile that may not be the same as the profile that we're seeing with patients uh, on the vaccine side. So I'm generally nervous about it, mainly because the rates of myocarditis seem to be higher in the vaccinated cohorts than in the people that are naturally infected. Um, the other uh, bit of data that the pharmaceutical industry often brags about is they tend to get tenfold higher antibody levels from the vaccine than from the naturally infected for the spike protein. When you get this injection, you're mostly expressing a, a, a 3,600 base pair region around 1,221 amino acids of the spike protein, which is only about 12% of the virus's genome. That's what you build antibodies off of and maybe some T cell response, but you're not getting it across the entire virus. 
however, it's very good at getting expression of that spike protein such that the antibodies are tenfold higher. Now, that's a sign that there's probably tenfold more spike protein in somebody who's vaxxed than someone who's naturally infected. All right, that may not be a good thing. Um, the spike protein the Salk Institute has shown is toxic in and of itself. And uh, if you need to build an immune response, you may not necessarily need to build it with extraordinarily high levels of spike protein. You could perhaps do it with, with lower levels. Um, so there is some concern that the vaccines uh, do not mimic the natural infection of the virus. And may come, there may be some other baggage that comes along with it based on the, just the, the, the bioavailability of this and um, the, the, the nature upon which we're administering it. Any follow up there? Uh, yeah, comparing that to the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, where are the distinctions drawn? Uh, so um, that's a good question. I'm not as familiar with J&J. I've been looking mostly at Pfizer and Moderna, who both share this 1,221 base pair spike protein. Um, so, um, okay. And I often conflate the, the – is the Johnson & Johnson one the one that's in the DNA virus, uh, the, so. the adenovirus backbone? Yes, I believe that's correct. It, it, I believe it is, and I believe it's still spike protein-based. I just don't know what the expression levels are, so I don't want to speak no um, negatively about the expression levels on J&J. I haven't, the paper I read was not regarding their, their vaccine. Uh, I mean, I know there's been some more dirt on them in terms of clotting, but I haven't actually seen that in the data. I've seen the similar risks between Moderna, Pfizer, and J&J regarding uh, the, the clotting risks. So, um, but I'm, I'm not as well uh, read on how heavily that expresses. The, what we do know is that these messenger RNA based ones, uh, they've, they've done a couple tricks that I don't think exist in the J&J one. Uh, one of the tricks is they're, they're making this RNA um, out of a, a non-native nucleotide. I mean, pseudouridine is a very rare nucleotide you find in, in, in human biology, but it's not, it's not found in every single uracil uh, inside of a messenger RNA. It's very rare that that happens. And the reason they swapped out this particular base in the RNA is that it's more stable and it, la- it sticks around longer which means the expression of the spike protein sticks around longer. And, and we don't know if that's good or bad. Uh, initially, they were doing everything they could to make sure these RNAs were stable, wouldn't get erased so quickly. But it's, it, it may be that they've gone too far, that these things actually are stably expressing spike for much longer than it's needed to build an immune response. And now you're dealing with more spike protein and more toxicity for longer than it's required to build an immune response. Uh, but, uh, you know, th- these are all things that we need to sort out. But the, the, my, my speculations when I see... Uh, really high levels of antibody expression from these, and that's probably overkill and not good because we rushed figuring out these dosages and you, you'll notice the Pfizer vaccine is 30 micrograms and the Moderna is 100. Like, why? They're the same like 1,221 amino acids. What what made them pick those numbers and how do we know that's optimal? I don't think that the dosage was ever fully explored uh, for, for in terms of looking at this for long-term effects. And I think when we're thinking about spike protein expression, we have to be thinking about long-term effects. Now, the, the second point, I think, which you were hinting at, um, bringing in J&J, uh, is that these guys are all focusing on spike. And I think that's a mistake. Uh, when you do that and you deploy a global-scale vaccination program on only 12% of a given virus in midstream of a pandemic, you're going to pressure this thing to mutate the spike protein so that your antibodies no longer 
can capture it. And that's exactly what we can see in the data today. We see Delta variants, Lambda variants, Mu variants. These are all spike protein variants that have been greatly increased in the population um, prevalence since the vaccine programs have emerged. Um, and there's now many papers coming out demonstrating this concept of spike escape is actually real. They can see the selective pressure that's going on in the mutation profiles we're seeing in the sequencing. And that uh, this third, this idea of applying another booster I think is only going to continue to press that evolutionary dynamics into, into more spike escape. Um, it's just like adding uh, low dose antibiotics and deciding when the bug starts to get resistance to apply some of the same and more uh, antibiotic to the same bug. Uh, it's, it's, it, you're only going to push that evolutionary experiment in the direction of vaccine escape. So I think it's very dangerous what they're doing. Uh, they should be, they should have vaccines that actually are more distributed than this that aren't focused only in spike and they shouldn't be hitting people repeatedly with the same selective pressure over and over again. Uh, they, they, they should have a diversified approach here. Yeah. I think you, you might've just answered my question because I was going to ask going into talking about boosters was, are we going to see more variants from this? Um, I mean, you're probably familiar with, uh, was it Dr. Geert Vandenbosch? I know he had kind of asserted that, uh, Yes, putting putting uh, vaccines into a pandemic was going to kind of spur on some, yeah, a non-sterilizing vaccine was going to spur on the birth of new variants, and it seems though that he might have been uh, a prophet. I think he's right about this. Now, I was initially not as worried about his um, grave concerns because I had f- some hope that the natural immunity was high enough that this wouldn't create a Merrick's disease. Uh, right. If, if half the population is already naturally immune, well, then the real the spike escape problem is really only pertinent to the people who are unvaccinated or partially vaccinated. Right. Um, and, and that might still be the case. I mean, I have seen some seroprevalence studies that there's fairly high levels of, uh, of natural immunity right now. So um, to the extent that this escape is going to happen, according to his concerns, I think it's going to be limited to the people that have uh, one or two vaccines, uh, that that's the cohort that we need to worry about, or the unvaccinated who, who may uh, unfortunately get one of these spike escapes. Um, so, yeah, he's, I think he's been right on. And I think he's also um, very prescient in that the, these approaches are, if they're not limiting viral load, then the mutation engine is still running. Okay, the reason I pay very close attention to the viral loads is that's a signature for how many times the the RDRP, this RNA-dependent RNA polymerase, has run around making mistakes. If you have really high viral loads in populations, you have lots of mistakes being made and lots of evolutionary uh, units, if you will, going on in the population. So you really want to find treatments out there that lower viral load. Uh, And that's what we have seen with ivermectin in some cases. Uh, or ivermectin actually lowers viral load in patients. And so if you become sick and, 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 you're, and you're put on an ivermectin treatment, uh, your viral loads go down during that time frame. Uh, and you build immunity across the entire virus. So this is win-win. This is good for evolutionary dynamics, and it's probably better for the patient long-term. However, we can't talk about that, <laughs> that well, drug, right? So we, um, we, we I don't know about, about monoclonal antibodies and other ones. I'm very curious if some of the other things do that. Yeah, so we, we have been kind of talking about ivermectin uh since i saw the brett weinstein uh podcast i don't know i think he was with uh maybe dr malone and uh steve dr. kirsch Corey. i think it was oh no you're oh, right. yeah no he was with Corey for sure on, on Rogan yeah, that's show. Right. i saw that yep. so and he's kind of been a little bit out in front of this too brett weinstein that is uh, about talking about the lab leak hypothesis he had garrett vandabash on talking about that and obviously he's uh had his channel basically taken down from youtube because talking about ivermectin um We've been talking about it here. I find the 
You would think that a medicine with the track record and history of ivermectin and shown any kind of uh, positive event uh, or benefit to COVID that it would be embraced and cheered on, but it seems the exact opposite is happening. They, they, because it may be beneficial, that they can't let it happen. Stop telling people to take horse pace, Sean. I guess. Right. So yes, yeah. So this is something that's dear to my heart because we 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 live this in the cannabis space. You know, when you have these generic drugs where there isn't a pharmaceutical sponsor for them, they crush them. They build entire institutions to crush them. We have an institution now funded by the government called NIDA, which is a National Institute of Drug Abuse, uh, that just funds work to trash cannabis, right? Uh, yet the cannabinoids are extraordinarily effective. There's even literature, uh, if your audience wants to Google it, on, on cannabidiol inhibiting SARS replication and, and boosting the innate immune, immune response to this thing. Um, that'll never see the daylight. Uh, they're they're going to crush that like, uh, you know, they'll, they'll call that horse paste as well. <laughs> Um, the same thing is going on with psilocybin, actually. There are interesting studies demonstrating that SSRIs uh, have a lower um, uh, hospitalization rate. The patients that are on SSRIs, this is actually done with fluvoxamine, and it's in, um, it's in JAMA. You can look up, uh, just Google SSRIs and SARS, and you'll see many studies showing that people on SSRIs do better than pa- patients who aren't, who aren't on them. And there's a couple theories as to why, but it's, this is a serotonin drug. Uh, and and uh, there's, there have been equal studies in New England Journal of Medicine so showing psilocybin is, is equal, if not more effective, than these SSRIs for, for depression. Uh, and this works in the same pathway, but it's less toxic because of the very same pharmaceutical um, interests we have in the patent system. So I, I tend to point people at the patent system because the patent system kind of it, it, it rewards people for finding new things and new things in medicine sometimes are dangerous. <laughs> and, and the things that are old that don't have patents on them are oftentimes time tested for thousands of years, uh, but there become no sponsors for them because the FDA process is so expensive. You can't possibly approach that with an unpatented medicine. Uh, or it's just risky. Some people do it. It's not to say it never happens. Uh, there are some cannabinoids making it through. They're just, uh, they're just rare, but, um, yeah, that, that's that's going to happen, I think, to ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, to many of these compounds that are off-patent. Does it matter if they win a Nobel Prize or not? They're still going to be called horse paste, uh, even if their numbers in the data uh, far exceed the, the vaccine efficiency of, 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 I mean, what's the latest number you guys have heard in the vaccine efficiency? Is it down to like 39% or something yeah. with Delta variant? Yep, that, that's the number in I The Israeli study? Yep. That's yeah, and so the numbers I've heard from Pierre Corey and and Peter McCullough are like eighty five percent effectiveness right. if you do their uh, their treatment option. So the, the the generics actually have they provide longer and more durable um, protection. They, if they lower viral load, they should help with the viral dynamics and the evolution going on. Um, they're cheaper than these vaccines. Many people don't call, talk about the cost of the vaccines, but if you look at some of those Pfizer contracts, they're like twelve to sixty six bucks a shot. Uh, ivermectin is way cheaper than that when you when it's off patent. I mean, there's just a host of fronts where these vac- with, with, with these alternative treatments make a hell of a lot more sense economically, evolutionarily, from a toxicology standpoint. You know, we don't have an exploding bears database on these things, yet they are still suppressed. That's a sign that something very very evil is going on. Uh, we're, we're off the rails of science here, and we're into politics. Yeah. So this leads me to my, basically my final question here a little bit, but. I'll, I'll go back to it. Not, not really a final question, but the, the overall general sense of all of the stuff that we've just talked about, all of it seems to lean wrong the same way all the time, right? There's never a mistake or a, 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 something that, that so oh, it's, it's in favor of ivermectin or in favor of uh, uh, natural immunity. All of the, 
the, the narrative seems to be pushing one way. So me and Mr. Husong have had this question, is this just a money grab or is there something more to this? Like, is it just people profiting on the testing and the vaccines and anything that goes along with it? The mask manufacturers, I don't know who else is profiting, but is it just a money grab or is there something bigger and deeper? It could be a combination of that and that it happens to coincide or co-align with some political needs. Uh, and that these 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 two different parasites are somehow now symbiotic in their in their parasitism, right? <laughs> uh, that they've jointly found a way to screw another set of the population to both serve their needs. But I mean, politically, obviously, this is creating a tremendous amount of divide. Um, I've never seen it. You know, the the U.S. population this divided before, and uh, you know, tyrants who like to add lots of laws and like to print lots of money like to divide people before they do it. Uh, so there is a true more money is being printed now than ever before. So even though there's there's a hundred billion dollars in the line for these vaccines or more, there's trillions being printed and giving and being handed out to other people. So I think that's probably the bigger play that's going on. I don't fully understand it and and who's who's driving it all and where it's going. But um, it is a uh, I, I think when you enter the, the interest rates went negative uh, before this happened. That was kind of a sign the whole thing will explode. Uh, and I, th- I think this is one big smoke smoke screen for the fact that they're going to reset the monetary system in some way, shape, or form so they can hyperinflate. They know once they enter this hyperinflation state, very few countries have ever reversed it. Uh, it it's not like there's a model you can go to saying when you're the, re- the world's reserve currency and you start entering hyperinflation, here's the, here's the, the fact manual on how to get out of it. <laughs> Right. You know? So I, I suspect there's something very deeply wrong with financial system and that they're using this virus madness to, to basically as a smokescreen to uh, what's to come. And um, so, yeah, I, I, uh, I encourage people to look into inflation protected assets if you can, because I think inflation's coming. Well, we'll get into Bitcoin in a little bit. There you go. Um, going back to, I apologize. I don't have a, a way to make this question more concise, so bear with me. Going back to the topic of what we're going on here of ivermectin and all these mistakes going in the same way, the other comparison we got to make between ivermectin and the vaccine is safety. We have 30-plus years and 3.7 billion doses of ivermectin administered worldwide. You couldn't ask for a better safety profile. The best thing we can say about the vaccines is we're not really sure. That's troubling to me. Am I am I crazy? It's worse than that on the vaccines. In that, the, if it, the Varus database is exploding now, they all like to discount the Varus database as being well. It's you know who knows or it's, it's it's self-administered and all these you know, all these fallacies they throw at. But you know the reality is the the vaccine programs very much rely or, or they've been given expedited approval processes because they believe and claim they have pharmacovigilance post post market, and then they turn around and say. Well, we can't trust the pharmacovigilance that we promised you we'd have when you gave us the shortcut through the FTA. So this whole thing is a scam. They, they can't be claiming that theirs is not trustworthy, yet they can have short review cycles in the FDA because they have great surveillance post-market. Um, they don't. They're not, they're not confident in that. Now, if you just take VAERS, um over time, that's another way to look at this problem. Uh, it has... We've always been looking at VAERS over time. It's always had its defects that people complain about. But what's different today? Like, why is there now? Why are there now thirteen thousand deaths that amount to more deaths in VAERS than we've ever seen for the past twenty years? 
right? That it, it's the same. It's the same mechanism of monitoring this. What's changed here is that this vaccine is more deadly than all the ones previously seen before. Um, I've heard something uh, north of 70% of the things that are submitted in there are submitted by a nurse or physician. So I doubt there's someone in there scamming the world uh, into some kind of Alex Jones hypothesis that this is, you know, this is fake there, right? Uh, so I also see the data in VAERS, the time uh, of when it's submitted or the time of the adverse event to the time of the vaccination is very time biased toward the vaccination event. Uh, which you don't see that uh, in the baseline mechanisms of death. So there are people who claim that, well, is it really above the average baseline? Well, the average baseline of myocarditis doesn't show up three days next to the vaccine. All right. That's, that's a, that's a, that's a signature, a time signature that's actually quite meaningful. So I think you're dead on that. We don't have these toxicities with ivermectin. We have an unknown set of them with the, with the vaccine. Uh, we, and we have a VAERS database that's literally on fire. And on top of that, they're sending around notes to all of the physicians that if you ever speak out negatively about the vaccine, they will not just fire you, but they'll pull your license, which means you can never practice medicine again. So you better believe that's an underreported database uh, because none of these physicians want to submit anything or get on the vaccine might be harmful bandwagon because it could end their career. Uh, so I think the number is much higher. I think when the, when the dust settles from this, it's going to be closer to 90,000 or higher uh, that are in there. And then you have to start asking yourself, was it worse than the actual pandemic? Because while the pandemic numbers were up at 700,000, the CDC has also been on record saying over 90% of those are comorbid with like three or four different conditions. So that, that kind of puts the actual COVID only death in like the 70 to 80K range, which could be lower than the actual vaccine death rate. So I don't know. I'm, I'm, um, I think there's a lot of shenanigans going on with the data. And there's there's too much um, influence on the political side of, of uh, you know, mandating these vaccines, mandating the doctors have to sing beautiful things about them. Uh, and then, uh, you know, censoring everybody online who speaks uh, anything differently is just leads me in the direction that I, 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 I trust the drugs that don't have all the coercion going on. Well, probably a good default setting. Yeah. All right, so I just I'm going to throw a list of things at you because we make a regular joke on this podcast of we're not scientists, we are two idiots with a podcast, but somehow we're able to point out these things that are coming before they ever come. And you are, listen, you're smarter, you're more educated. This is your wheelhouse. I, I'm trying to get an understanding because I I share the same concern as Sean of like I want it to be a money grab, but this seems so over the top for just a money grab because these things are blatant. And I, I, off the top of my head that I just jotted down here was it started with the idea that lockdowns would work, that the lab leak hypothesis was completely debunked, that asymptomatic spread was likely or with that it was really prevalent, that the virus was predominantly spread by droplets instead of aerosols, that kids were at equal risk of spreading to adults, that we had to have masks on and that would stop the virus, that kids should be wearing masks, that healthy people are just as much this virus doesn't discriminate that the vaccines are going to provide better immunity than acquired immunity, that people might not even get natural immunity and we have no idea how long it lasts, that early treatment plans are nonsense and they're horse medicine, and that the vaccine likely reduces spread. These are all claims that have been made over the last 18 months that we looked at and as complete novices in the field read the relevant science and went, well, that's not true. That's not going to pan out whatsoever. Did I miss anything? Is there anything else we should be looking yeah. at? Oh wow, that is a long list, and I agree <laughs> right. with you on, on all of those. They, those were all those were all like pushed in and turned out to be wrong and almost easily debunked right on the face of them. Um, yeah, I, the oh, yeah, no, there's a whole right? hydroxychloroquine thing oh, too. You know, yeah, I forgot about so that. They're, one. They're, 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 yeah, 
HCQ was one that yeah. was, you got to remember the Surgisphere study, yeah. right? They came yeah, out saying, we, we oh, had an yes. MD on talking yeah, about that, that early a, on. So yeah, we forgot about that one. I bet. Yeah. Um, they it's, were, it's, they were down they weren't so happy about monoclonal antibodies either. I think the funny thing about the monoclonal antibodies is that they choke them up until the point that the Pfizer EUA got like advanced a little bit. And then the next day Fauci was like, Oh yeah, we can do monoclonal antibodies. Uh, and you're like, well, what was wrong with them a year ago when Trump took, Trump took them, right? Uh, they're only now cool. Like, it's not like they magically got better. <laughs> the science changed, Kevin. The science <laughs> changed. Yes, yes. Even though the science is settled, the science does change when I need it to. <laughs> you just reminded me of another one, though. The idea that we were not funding gain-of-function research through our government. That, that was How has that not become public record? That Yeah, we absolutely were. And Anthony Fauci lied under oath to Congress. Yeah, we should still be having that discussion now, whether or not and that's he's still there. there. Yeah, that's cr- it's all crazy. It is literally crazy town. So you're not making me feel less yeah. crazy. I was kind of hoping you would. Yeah, that, that's the only durable immunity I see out of this vaccine program is it's not to the people receiving the vaccine. The only durable immunity out there is Anthony Fauci. He seems to be uh, <laughs> the, the guy with a thousand lives. He so, is the science. Don't forget people that disagree with him are disagreeing with the science. Yes. So so what what, what else? What, what did we miss here? We covered a lot. Um, and I, I want to thank you again for your time for, for going over all that. Is there, is there other things that, that, you know, we, we may have overlooked or something we maybe should be uh, paying attention to here coming in the future with this? I mean, we, you know, I, 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 I keep, th- I don't know when it's going to end. We keep, I thought this was going to end months ago. I remember telling my original boss, she, I'm like, oh, these masks, we'll be off these masks in like two weeks. She's like, really? And I'm like, oh yeah. And nope. Here we are. Lockdown masks, kids, Such all of it's still going. So I, I don't know when it's going to end, but is there any light at the end of the tunnel? Is there anything that we should be uh, looking? Uh... Well, you guys, you, you you brought up a good point earlier regarding Hope Simpson, right? Um, so this reminds me of, um, you know, like the Aztecs and the Mayans. They knew a little bit of, enough about astrology to know when there might be an eclipse. And so they could hold all types of events that would enthrall people and their capacity to, to manipulate the gods, right? I think this is happening with these waves that they know when this wave is going to hit the Northeast, right? And so they're going to start doing things to imply that they make an impact on when this thing shows up and when it goes away. Like, I mean, they leveraged the fact that Florida had this thing happen uh, to politically crucify Florida, even though everyone who follows Hope Simpson knew it was coming, right? <laughs> uh, and they said, oh, look, they're having all these parties and football games and they're not masked enough. And so Florida's going to hell. And I was like, well, that's, we all expect Florida to be higher at this exact time. So I think you have to pay attention to when these waves are coming. And that way, if you filter the news through the knowledge of what you know is likely to happen, you can screen out a lot of the noise, right? So up in the Northeast, we're going to start to see a PCR wave probably in October, November. Uh, And someone's going to try to, you know, claim that, uh, well, the vaccine program needs a new booster now, or they're going to do do something to leverage the fact that they understand that information uh, to make a policy that is affected by that uh, and claim their policy credit for it. Right. So when the wave disappears in maybe February, March, they'll see, see our booster program work. We got all those boosters out in January and we put all the masks on people in February. And voila, this, this disappeared in May. Uh, you can have your freedom back for the summer. We're going to start again with, with Disson on Florida in, in August. 
Um, so I, I think I think watching that is is really important because it lets you see where they're when when and how they're lying, uh, and uh, and then I, I would also encourage people. There isn't one solution to this. Everybody is different. Um, speak to your physicians about what the right treatments are for you, right? But but include them all. I do think having a diversity of approaches in the population is the better approach. When the entire globe gets behind one approach, that is not an anti-fragile design, all right? That's putting all your eggs in one basket globally. That is really stupid. Uh, so it'd be great if some populations did ivermectin, some did monoclonal antibodies, some did HCQ. Some did some. Some did the vaccines, right? Uh, because this means that we're we're. Um, I mean, it's it's almost like investing in markets. When you invest in markets, you you can't predict the complexity of the market, so you scatter your investments across a portfolio of things to protect yourself. Yet here we are with a pandemic, and what are we doing? We're doing the opposite of every investment thesis advisor would tell you, which is you're betting everything on Tesla. That might be a little scary. Um, so I, I think this idea that you take your health into your own hands, speak to your physicians, read about all these alternative th- treatments. There isn't one answer for the globe and, and, and pick the one that works best for you. Listen, from your mouth to God's ears, we keep talking about this here of like, we're shutting down debate. I, historically speaking, if you're pro censorship, that's not a position you want to be long-term that never works out. Oh yeah. We yeah. We're in a weird time. Mr. McKernan, I want to thank you for your time. Uh, we didn't talk about Bitcoin. I know you talked about uh, looking into uh, inflation-resistant uh, assets. Would Bitcoin be your uh, top one? Yeah. Or, that, or you, are you a gold bug? Yeah, Bitcoin, I think, is uh, is probably the best protection against it right now. So I've been following that very closely. It looks like El Salvador just opened the door for any you know Bitcoin folks to move down there tax-free, which is going to be an interesting dynamic. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's... Uh, that seems to be something that's digitally scarce and you can prove how much of it exists. And when hyperinflation occurs, uh, it's, it's probably going to be very resistant to it. Uh, it's proven so to be so for at least a decade. So, um, that's worth the whole episode in of itself. So hopefully our islands next are next time. to each other during that time. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Mr. Yeah. McCurdy, thank you very much again for your time. Um, hopefully, uh, uh, you keep, well, do, do keep up the good, the good work. I follow you religiously on Twitter, so you're a good follow and uh, everybody else should do that at Kevin underscore McKernan. And, uh, hopefully we'll have you on another uh, time when, uh, maybe when Bitcoin hits a hundred thousand. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it. All right. All right. Thank, thank you, you guys. very much. Thank you. Yep. Take care. All right. Cheers. All right. So we're back here. Uh, technical wanna, issues aside. Techni- oh, tons of technical issues. I'm going to have to be, luckily I don't have golf today cause my editing is going to take all day. So. Um, I will be editing the audio and have uh, all the uh, any hiccups out of the way for uh, all the audience and uh, repost the video uh, when need be. And But I do want to thank everybody. If you haven't already, uh, hit that like and uh, share button on the video. You can subscribe to the channel uh, and hit that notification bell when you want to uh, be alerted to uh, better produced live videos in the future. So uh, on that note, we will see you all not next week. I mean, you could do it. I'm going to be gone next. We're week. unsure that there's going to be a show on on the twentieth. So I'm having a um, little family time. That's well deserved. So um, there may not be a show next week. Maybe I'll I'll run the interview for Mr. McKernan just as the interview separate then that way. But I will figure that out. Or maybe um, we'll do one early and then post it on okay, Monday. We'll do all predictions on everything over the weekend, and then we'll see what we got right and wrong. We'll we'll just have Simpson to air it anyway. The future. I mean, I was thinking more like football, but yeah, let's okay. do that. <laughs> all right. So on that note, I want to thank everybody, and we'll see you all again uh, maybe next week, uh, if not two weeks from. Uh, from today. So thank you again.